Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. So today we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. Let's just pray before we get into it. Heavenly Father, once again, as we've sung about the ancient words, and I was reflecting as we sang that song, when I sing the phrase ancient words, I think of the Old Testament. Boy, ancient, ancient times. And somehow that doesn't seem to apply to the New Testament. And yet the New Testament that we're about to open is itself 2,000 years old. It's just that the Holy Spirit who who came upon the church and gave birth to the church is, is right here with us now. And so it almost seems like these things we're going to read this morning were written just yesterday. Therefore, this church... They're not just ancient things that we struggle to apply to modern times. So, Heavenly Father, make these living words speak to our hearts today and just remind us that all that it took and all that it's still taking to build the church of Jesus Christ in this fallen world. Bless us. As we look into this passage now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow, today, just as a brief communion meditation, we've got a passage in Acts that can be dealt with briefly. It's it's like taking a picture. You can look at a picture and say, wow, there it is. Ah, You can look at a picture and ponder it for a long, long time. If it's a picture of yourself, there are some people who can spend hours But this is a picture we're going to look at, and Luke has painted us a picture of a man, a particular man that God used to open the door of the Christian church, this brand new organization, this brand new ecclesia, this gathering that Jesus was building, that he said, I'm going to build my church, my church gathering, my ecclesia, my church. And we're looking at a man now that God, that Jesus Christ specifically as the head of the church used to open the door of that organization to Gentiles. That is to non-Jewish people. Everybody on the day of Pentecost was a Jew. Every one of the 3,000 who were converted and baptized, confessed their faith in Jesus Christ, were Jews. And Jews, for years, centuries, had had nothing to do with Gentiles. Jews were God's chosen people, and they knew it, and they declared it. And we're going to look at a man, Luke is going to shine the spotlight on a man that God used in a very special way to begin to open the door of this church that Jesus was building in this world to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. 
This is a man that, in a sense, we could say, a man without whom, if he had not come along, if God had not been able to use him, it's very likely, take this man out of the story, and it's possible that you and I might still be on the outside of the church looking in, amazed at what God had done with the Jewish nation. But us, not part of it. And so let's look at this man. The man's name is Cornelius. As the title of this message says, he was a most useful man. And his story is told in Acts chapter 10. And today's key scripture, just the first eight verses of that story, introduces him to us. So we're not going to tell the whole story about him, but we're going to get to know him a bit and discover some things about him. So I'm going to read those eight verses. And as I read, I want you to think to yourself these, this thought. I'm sure none of us have ever thought anything like this before, but just think as I read this story. Think, I would possibly not even be a Christian today if it were not for this man. I just let those words run through your mind as I read about him. And then after you think that thought and let it work through you a bit, think this thought. What might God be able to do with and through me if I were more like this man? Two questions. Here we go. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, which was a gorgeous, gorgeous, mostly Gentile port city on the Mediterranean, on the Mediterranean Sea, a gorgeous place. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. Remember what we used to say? Angels were taught in angel school. If you ever encounter a human being on earth, if you're ever given an assignment to go to earth with a message, the first thing you say after they see you is what? Fear not. Because <laughs> angels are fearsome spiritual beings. They're not just glowing men. I imagine they're, they're just awesome. So Cornelius stared at him in fear. He says, what is it, Lord? means you've come from God. You've come from the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator that I've been worshiping now as a, as a listener in on all the Jewish uh, teachings. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, 
to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying at Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. The passage we read last week ended up with that verse that had nothing to do with last week's lesson. And said, by the way, Peter stayed at the house of Simon the Tanner. And you wonder, why would you just throw that into the story? It had nothing to do with the story, except the angel is going to tell Cornelius that's where he's staying. Sort of like at the Marriott there in the city. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, next week, we're going to read the rest of the story. Today, I want us to see the remarkable nature of this wonderfully useful man in the hands of God. In fact, there's four key characteristics of the man Cornelius that we find in just those eight verses. Going to share them quickly. And then I want us to sense that these are the four same characteristics that God can use to make us useful or that in turn will make us useful in the hands of the Holy Spirit as we walk through our world. So here we go. First one. Cornelius, he was a devout, God-fearing centurion. Now, you don't have to join the military to do this. Forget the centurion part. He was a devout, God-fearing person. Says his whole family were devout and God-fearing. Now, Luke obviously knew that was important to let us know that. Cornelius was a centurion. He was a Roman soldier, an active-duty Roman soldier. He was a captain over a hundred trained fighting men. That's what the cent in the centurion means, 100. So he was a captain over 100 trained fighting men. He was no run-of-the-mill Gentile. He was a leader, a trusted man, a steady-in-the-face-of-danger type of man. It makes me think of the centurion who came seeking Jesus' healing help for his servant. Remember that story? A centurion said, Lord, my servant is desperately ill. Can, can you help him? And Jesus prepared to go. And the centurion says, you don't even have to come. I don't even want to bother you making the trip. He says, I'm a man under authority. I know how authority works. You, who are the authority over everything, you just give the word and my servant will be healed. That's a, the way the centurion thinks about things. He made it into the scripture, that one. There was another centurion who stood at the cross. And when he saw the way that Jesus died, basically that Jesus just dismissed his spirit. He marvels and he says, surely this man was the son of God. Cornelius was one like that. A man under authority, a man who had those under, author under his authority and who was able to make judgments and wise judgments and given great responsibility, he was one of them. But more than what was said about the other centurions who made it into the scripture. Luke says that Cornelius was a devout, God-fearing man. What a wonderful comment to have made about yourself. 
to be devout. Devout. Now, in the Greek language, the, the word that's translated devout here is really just a slight variation of the Greek word for worship. Worship. We've come to worship. We've come to exercise a devout attitude before the living God. Luke says Cornelius had that. He was a worshiper of the God of Israel. He had stopped short of converting fully to Judaism, but he had come as close to that as he could. Luke says that he and his family were God-fearing. Well, the truth of it is there was a whole group of people in in that region at that time who were known as God-fearers. The Jewish faith and the Jewish people made provision for a group that would, would be impressed with the God of Israel, turn their back on the gods of Greece, turn their back on the gods of Rome, and accept the God of the Jews as the one true God, the creator over all things. People who would acknowledge that the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was the one and only true God. And to worship him and to join into a a sense of uh, knowledge of that truth. Gentiles who would embrace that singular God of Israel. Many of these Gentiles would begin to attend synagogue services. Synagogue was not like the temple. The temple, Gentiles couldn't walk into any of the holy places. But a synagogue was kind of like a church service, a congregation, a meeting in in every little town would have their synagogues. And Gentiles were allowed to come in and listen in and, and be taught the words of Moses and so forth. And that's how they learned. These were Gentiles who generally followed the Jewish lifestyle. Probably adjusted their dietary eating. Adjusted a lot of things in their life. The thing that kept them from just converting to Judaism completely is that all men would have to be circumcised. And that would keep them from circumcising their children and themselves. And and so they would just be one step away from converting all the way. And so they became known as God-fearers, God-worshippers, Gentiles who appreciated and worshipped and accepted even the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and begin to pattern their life morally and in other ways about the, around the teachings of God, but just stop short of converting. And so the Jews would recognize these were not regular Gentiles. These were not pagans. These were not the horrible people doing horrible things and worshiping bloodthirsty gods. These were, what do we call them? Well, they're people who fear and worship the very God we worship and are live in awe of. So they were God-fearers. Now, I would say to you, Surely it was God-fearing Gentiles in the years to come who would be most delighted to hear that the Apostle Paul was teaching that since the coming of Jesus Christ, circumcision, along with all the rest of the ritualistic and dietary law, 
would no longer be part of the faith. The Christian faith would not require circumcision of all male babies. The Christian faith would not require this this physical sign that you are people set apart from the world. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say, you know, God at this point through Jesus Christ is circumcising the hearts of men. It's the heart that is different, not the body. Oh, these God-fearers would be delighted to find out that they can be a full-fledged Christian without having to ever have become a full-fledged Jew. But at this point, he was on the outside a bit looking in, appreciating all the truth, all the beauty, all the worship, all the glory of Israel as much as he could. Now, as testimony of the fact that his, his heart was where God would want his heart to be, uh, Luke tells us a little bit more. Here's the next thing we, we discovered, and these are kind of my words a little bit. Cornelius, in addition to being a devout, God-fearing centurion, was a generous, and I think we could say pious, man. It says he gave to those in need, and he prayed regularly to God. Caring for the poor of the land had always been a big deal to God. The truth of it is probably some of the things that might keep God's hand from just falling in judgment upon some of the evils of our own country is the fact that America has a heart for the poor. And Christian people, primarily, through the laws of the land, have made sure that nobody goes, once they're found... Nobody need go hungry or without clothing or without shelter. There's, there's all kinds of our own tax dollars by the billions go to try to care for those who are less fortunate than we are. And yes, there are great gaps in the system, but compared to other places in the world, we have a system. And it's primarily because from the very beginning, believers in this country have understood that God cares deeply about the poor. And he evaluates human beings on the basis of how they care for the poor. And it says, Cornelius gave to those in need. And he prayed regularly for God, he, uh, to God. He possessed a generous heart. Cornelius would have gathered around him, if they ever organized it, a group of people who sang his praises the same way as we saw last week Dorcas had widows gathered around her after she died, singing the praises of how she provided for them, she made clothing for them, she helped them. Cornelius would be the same kind of person that people say, oh, I tell you, he, if it wasn't for Cornelius... I don't know what we would have done. He was a generous man, a good man. And Luke says he prayed regularly to God. He lived consistently in a place of dependence and fellowship with the God of Israel as well as he could. You can imagine it must have been quite a challenge. Quite a challenge to serve Rome as an official in their army 
and yet be a follower of the one true God that he knew rules over even the emperor himself. And yet somehow he did it. He did it. God cannot use those who do not know him. God cannot use those who do not have time for him. But what a delight it is when our Heavenly Father discovers one who does both know him and make time for him. Those who keep in step with the Spirit every single day. And as a result of his devotion and his generosity to the poor, and as a result of his faithfulness in prayer and fellowship, Luke tells us next that Cornelius was, and really anyone that lives in such a way, will become a noticed man. Here's what the angel said. Your prayers and gifts have come up. That is, come up before the throne of God. Just like in the Old Testament, the incense would, from their sacrifice and their offerings would come up before the God as a sweet savor. He says, what you have done, your prayers, your gifts have come up to us as a memorial offering before God. I would say such a life filled with prayer and generosity is so rare among the men and women of this fallen world that it draws the attention of God whenever it happens. Your prayers and gifts have come up as a memorial offering before God. You've been noticed, is what the angel was saying. Like the offerings of old, your prayers and gifts have come up before the throne of God as kind of a memorial, a reminder. See, what's it a memorial of? A memorial offering. I take it this way. His offerings was a memorial, was a reminder, as it were, that there is one on earth named Cornelius who honors and obeys God and whose life brings glory to God and blessing to others. It's like every time that, that aroma comes up there, the father himself can say that's coming right from the life of Cornelius. I know him. He's serving me, even now. The angel could have added, and God has found you useful. Couldn't tell Cornelius all the story now. Peter will be filling that in, in what we read next week and the week after that. But the angel could have said something like this. Cornelius, you will be used to open the door of the church even wider to men and women of all nations. But first we must get one here who as God's own representative on earth can see what God has done and can draw the proper conclusion about it and then can convince others concerning the truth of that conclusion. We're going to see that work out in the rest of the Acts story. What the angel did say to Cornelius was simply this. Send men to Gapa and get a man called Peter. 
And that directive allowed us to see the fourth and final thing this morning we would share. Cornelius was a responsive man. The angel gave a directive and he responded. And it says he sent two servants and a soldier to Joppa to bring back Simon Peter. And and Luke, in the interest of accuracy, he says, Cornelius sent two servants and a devout soldier. He's not saying this is a soldier that's committed to Cornelius. He's saying this is another soldier like Cornelius. He's another devout man. Don't you wonder how many of the hundred men under his command had followed their leader's example and become a worshiper of the one true God? However that had happened. At least one other soldier had. You wonder how many had. Don't you wonder how many of them would ultimately become Christian soldiers? Our point today is that God is forever looking at those, for those, like Cornelius, that he can use in the accomplishment of his will in our fallen world. And so ponder with me our final thought of the morning. We just put it this way. God notices and uses those who are ready. Sometimes we think, if God ever gives me an assignment, I'll really get serious about my faith. I'll get myself ready if I really have a calling from God. I knew a man many, many years ago who wanted to be part of the the work, part of the staff of the church. Work in evangelism. Way, way back in a church in Colorado where Linda and I started out. And, and he was skillful. He was a salesman, for sure. And he, was, and he told me, you know, he had these ideas for uh, setting up an evangelistic ministry within the church and doing this and doing that and having home. And, and yet I knew him as a guy on Sunday morning, just stand in a corner. Just look around. Never introduced himself to anybody. You know, never, never talked to anybody that I could tell about the Lord, even though he talked to me lots of times about the Lord. We had great conversations. I really liked him as a person. But he said this to me. He says, you know, I know I don't do anything in the church right now, and I haven't really brought anybody into the church, and there's no track record to say you ought to hire me. But he says, I'll tell you what, you give me a job. You give me a, a position in the church, and man, you won't believe what I'll do. God works a different way, the exact opposite way. He looks for somebody who is ready and is already showing certain gifts, maybe, and then he puts them in a place where they can be used. God notices and uses those who are ready, and we ready ourselves through worship and through the opportunities for service that just come our way. Are there any poor people coming your way that you can help out? Are there any situations where you can step in and make a difference in somebody's life? Is there anyone who is troubled of heart and you can tell them something about the love and the grace and the plan and the goodness of God and how that can sustain you during difficult times because difficult times come to everybody. See, are we doing that already? Because that's just our nature as followers of Jesus 
being filled with the Spirit. We ready ourselves. Do you realize this morning you spent some time readying yourself for this week's work? Worshiping God? Reminding yourself of his goodness and his grace? Reminding yourself of his plans and his purposes? Reminding yourself that he is... And he is what really matters, no matter what comes day by day, hour by hour. And as you worship, you are making yourself ready to be used by God however and wherever he might find such an occasion this week. Maybe nothing will come up this week, but you're ready. And God is looking for those who are ready. And we ready ourselves through worship and service. Let's continue to do so as we continue this service. Shall we bow in prayer? Heavenly Father, it's a marvelous thing to, to see your hand at work in the lives of real people. Most of us have people whose names we can bring forth that, that we know you have used have used them in our lives, have used them in the lives of others. And, and Father, we know if we really examine them and think back to the circumstances, would say these are people who before they were used to bless us had been made ready by the Spirit within them. And they were worshipers of God. They were lovers of your word. They were people who believed and trusted and had found you to be sufficient during times of struggle in their own life. And, and then there came that time where they made an impact in our life. It's always like that. You're looking for people who are ready. And people are made ready through worship and by taking advantage and stepping into the circumstances that come their way. So, Father, continue to ready us this morning as we continue to worship and as we then head into the week that's in before us. And we ask you this and thank you for your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.